It's an amazing world that we live in, shimmering oceans and majestic mountains and lush rainforests, arid deserts as far as you could see, incredible sunsets. It's beautiful, this world that we have. And the more that we learn about it, the more amazing it all is. That we are on this big rock traveling through space at 67,000 miles an hour is unreal that we have the sun hung in the sky that perfectly heats our world so that plants can grow, so that our water is drinkable, so that animals and, and human beings can survive. And that sun is precisely placed 93 million miles away from Earth. Of course, it's all wrapped up in this universe so big that when we look at the night sky, when we look at this starry sky and we see light, it is from stars that have burned out often years ago. But our universe is so big, it's so vast that the light is just now reaching us. It's mind-blowing. When God made the world, when he created the world, he said, it's good. When God made the sun and the moon and the stars, he said, it's good. When he made the oceans and the lakes and the rivers, he said, it's good. When God made trees, those really big ones, those redwoods that grow 300 feet in the air and they live for thousands of years, God said, it's good. When God made mountains, that rose up into the air, 10, 20, 30,000 feet into the air, and the depths of the ocean that are deeper than the tallest mountains are high. God said it's good. When God made the northern lights that dance and shimmer in the sky, God said it's good. But there's only one thing that would get God really excited. There is only one thing in all of creation that God said that is very good. It is the pinnacle of everything that God made. It's you and it's me. The Bible says that God saved his favorite part of creation for the end. So today we're gonna jump into this new sermon series and we're gonna ask the question, why did God make us and why did God call humanity very good? When the rest of the world, which is so amazing and so intricate and so advanced, he says is good, he called us very good. So if you've got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on and go right there to the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter one, it's right in those early pages of your Bible. What's so cool about Genesis chapter one and two is that God is actually going to say why he made us. And I think that's so important because sometimes when you are going through life and you feel like you're just going through the motions or maybe you feel like you've gotten a little lost, we can reset, we can come right back here and look at why God made us. You know, one of the things that we've done with the Bible, with Genesis chapter one and two especially, is we've turned it into a science book. We've made the mistake of believing that it's an explanation of how God made the world. Maybe even an explanation of when God made the world. And so we've started debates and arguments. 
as if the Bible would tell us how old the world is or how it all came into existence. That is not the point. When Moses sat down to write the first few books of the Bible and he wrote Genesis, the Israelites did not care how old the world was. They weren't thinking about how it came into being or when it all came together. That's not the point. And so as we walk into this, I just wanna say, there are people who love Jesus who have vastly different notions about how and when the world was made. But that is not the point of the creation story. The creation story is written so that we would know who made the world and why it was made. And so over the next number of weeks, we're gonna look at that, who made the world and why, especially why. We're gonna try and understand why we were made. You know, every civilization, every culture has an explanation. They have a creation story. Many throughout history, many of the world's cultures, their story went like this. The, the gods were up in the heavens and they were tired. It was a lot of work to manage the world, manage the universe, and they didn't really want to do it anymore. They wanted to relax, so they made humanity. They made mankind to be their servants, to be their workforce. They needed human beings to work. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that God needed us. The Bible says that God wanted us, that he had a reason and he had a purpose for us. And so we're gonna try and dig deep and look at that purpose. So we're gonna jump into the creation story. We're gonna jump into the last day, what Moses describes as the sixth day of creation. Moses breaks creation up into these six days or these six parts, and we're not going to get into whether those are literally six days or six segments of time or whatever. It doesn't matter for what, what we're talking about. We're going to jump into the sixth segment of creation, and here almost everything has been made. The sun has been made. The moon and the stars have been made. The land has been formed. The mountains made. Fish, birds, Stars, lions, tigers, and bears have all been made, and God says, it's good. Everything that he has made to this point is good, but he's not done. He's got one more thing he's going to do. Check this out. Genesis 1, verse 26. Here's what it says. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is the beginning of the story of God making us, and there is so much to pull out of this box, so much to unpack here. One of the things that's unique about this day of creation, if you go back and you look at day one and day two and day three of creation, the way God creates the world is he speaks. God has the ability to speak things into existence, so God says, let there be light, and the light turns on. God says, let the, the land and the water separate, and now there are oceans and there are mountains. It's done. God says, let the land produce vegetation, trees, bushes, and animals, and it happens, but not on day six. It's not enough just to speak. No, God's gonna get his hands dirty. 
God is like a craftsman who wants to go to his workshop and, and use his hands. He's like a chef who wants to get his hands in the dough and really create. God wants to get dirty when he creates on day six. It's not enough to just speak humanity into existence. That's too distant. He wants to be closer. He wants this to be hands-on. He's gonna put his time and his energy into this. Underline that phrase, let us make. He's gonna do it with his hands. God is going to be close and personal to you and I when he makes us. It's incredible. The next part of this verse that's amazing. Did you notice? Did you notice how God uses words like us and our, these plural pronouns? God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why doesn't God say, let me make mankind in my image? Why is he using these plural pronouns? I thought there was, there was just one God. And it's just kind of fun to look at. And I'll just tell you, like, nerd alert. Okay, here comes some geeky theology for you. But I love this stuff. And I think it's so interesting because scholars have really lots of opinions on what could be going on here. And I just think it's so unique that God would say, let us make mankind in our image. What's he doing there? Well, some scholars think that God is talking to angels. That God is, is talking to his heavenly courts. That he's saying, let us, he's speaking broadly to the group, let us make mankind in our image. Now that's one way of looking at it. I, I kind of have a few problems with that. One is that angels aren't really made in God's image. So I don't think he would say, let us make man in our image. Also, angels don't seem to be agents of creation. It seems to be God who does the creating, not angels. So it's one theory. Another theory is that God is so big, God is so vast, that he cannot be described with a singular pronoun. It's called the plurality of majesty. God is so big, he's so incredible. You have to use pronouns like we and our for God. That's kind of cool because it gives God lots of glory. Many scholars would say that perhaps this is our first glimpse of the Godhead, of the Trinity in Scripture, that God the Father is speaking to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and saying, let us make man in our image. Wouldn't that be cool if this is, this is the first glimpse of our Trinitarian God, the Godhead in Scripture? Lots of stuff here to unpack, and I, I think it's, it's fun to look at. It's fun to dive into. But the most important part of this passage comes next. It's this phrase. Underline it. Circle it. Highlight it. It says that God created mankind in his own image. See, when you look at a human being, you see an expression of God. You see a resemblance of God. You see the likeness of God, his image. Not in the physical sense. God is not a physical being, but in, in ways far beyond that. You see the image of God in every person that you meet. There's not a single person that you will ever encounter. There is not a single person you will set eyes on. There's not one person that you will smile at. There is not one person that you will ever make eye contact with who is not uniquely made in the image of God. How special is that? And what does that say in the face of sexism, 
and, and racism and all the ways that we divide lines of us versus them. No. Every person you encounter, regardless of, of race or, or gender or ethnicity or political affiliation or, or, or socioeconomic class, every single person is made in the image of God. Well, what does that mean? The Hebrew word there describes something like a resemblance, a representation of God. You and I are the image, the resemblance of God. God does not say that about any other part of creation. He does not say that about tigers. He does not say that about elephants. He does not say that about the waves in the ocean. He does not say that about the highest peaks. Nothing else is made in God's image, just us. We stand apart from everything else because we bear the image of God. We carry this resemblance of God. It's much like this. When you look in a mirror, you see something. You see an image. It's not the real thing. It's a representation of the real thing. It points to the real thing. We are the image of God, and that's not to say that we're little gods running around. No, we're the likeness, the resemblance of God. That stretches us a little bit, doesn't it? Because when you look in the mirror, what do you see? I mean, some days better than others. You go, I look good today, right? But oftentimes, don't you see the flaws? Don't you see the, the bags under your eyes from being exhausted? Don't you see the wrinkles, the aging on your face? Don't you see where your hairline used to be? You see the acne and the age spots and everything, right? You see the flaws. Remember when you were a kid and you stood in front of the mirror and you flexed your muscles and it was like, I'm gonna take on the world. Maybe some of you still do that. But most of us don't. We see what's broken. And not just the physical stuff. We see shame. We see regret. We see the toll that life has, has taken on us. We see bruises. We see battle scars. We see things that we wish we could change. But that is not what God designed us to see. God made us in his image that when we look in the mirror, what we would see is a glimpse of him, the resemblance, the likeness of him. This sets us apart from everything else in creation. You and I are different, made in the image of God. We're like him in so many ways. We have a moral compass. We know right from wrong. Why? Because God is all truth. We have a mental capacity to continue to grow and learn because God is all knowing. We have this social component. We need community and, and to live in fellowship like God does. Not like animals who need to be in a pack to hunt and survive. No, we need it for nourishment of our souls. When we look in the mirror, we see the flaws. But what if we could, could look past that? Because somewhere in there, right behind what you see right now, right behind those flaws and that brokenness and that shame and that disappointment, oh, there's a little glimpse of God. There's the resemblance of your creator. It's hiding in there, but if you will look and you will listen to God, you'll see it. You are made 
in the image of a holy and perfect God. So let's walk into that. What does that really mean? Practically speaking to you and I, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Let's jump into this. Let me give you a few things to write down. I think there are really two things. One has to do with what we see in the mirror when we look. The other thing has to do with what other people see. What it means to be made in the image of God. Write a couple things in your notes. First, being made in God's image means that literally I belong to God. So in the New Testament, there's this story where the Jewish leaders, they don't like Jesus so much and they really wanna trick him and they wanna trick him into saying something against the Roman authorities so that they can scurry off and tell the Roman authorities, this Jesus guy is talking bad about you and then they hope the Romans will come and arrest him and kill him and this is their way of getting rid of him but they don't have to get any blood on their hands. And so they go, Jesus, come here. They go, Jesus, is it okay, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus, he knows what they're doing. Jesus goes, go and, go and get me one of those Roman coins. And so they bring it to him and they show it to him. And he says, flip it over. He says, whose image is on the back of that coin? And they go, well, it's, it's Caesar. There's a picture of Caesar on there. And Jesus says, okay, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to to God. And the underlying question there is, what belongs to God? And the answer, you and me. We do. Just like that coin bears an image of Caesar and so belongs to him, you and I bear the image of God. And we belong to him. So when I look in the mirror and I see my reflection, that image, that reflection belongs to me. It cannot exist apart from me. So if I raise my hand, the image raises its hand. If I shake my head, the image shakes its head. If I twist and turn, the image has to twist and turn. If I sat down or if I jumped up and down, the image has to do the exact same thing. It cannot operate independent of me. It is my image. And God is going, that's how I made you. I made you in my image to be like me. My image can't do its own thing. In the same way, God doesn't want us to run off and do our own thing. We're made in his image. We're made to be attached to him. We belong to him. We're not made to function on our own. God is going, I want you to be so connected to me. I want you to be so in harmony with me that you live and love like me. You are my image and you belong to me. It's incredible. We have a picture of what it looks like. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect image of God. When we look at the life and person of Jesus, what do we see? We see that he's loving and he's compassionate and he's gentle, and he's truth-telling, and he's joyful, and he's patient, and he's all the things that God is, and everything that God is calling us to be. And so as God is creating the world, he's going, okay, I made the sun, and I'm gonna put it over here, and sun, okay, you do, you do your thing. 
And I made cows, and I'm putting them over here. And okay, cows, you do, you do your thing. You, do, you function the way I made you. And I made the, the rivers. And okay, river, you, you flow this way, and you, you do your thing. And I made the mountains. Okay, mountains, you have a purpose, and, and, and you do your thing. But not with you and me. He says, I made you. You belong to me, and I made you to stay connected to me forever, not to go off and do your own thing, but stay connected to me like an image to be part of me and to bear my image. Do you see how personal this is? Do you see how close God wants to be with you? That he would get his hands dirty. He could have just snapped his fingers or spoken, and you and I were born, but no, he got in it like a craftsman. He invested his time and his energy. And then he says, I want you to know that you belong to me. You are my image, and I want you to stay connected to me. It's so personal. In fact, if we went back to the passage, to Genesis 1, 26, and we read it this way, we read it more personally. Remember, it says, let us make mankind in our image. What if you put your name in there? Go ahead, say it out loud. Like I would say, let us make Brad in our image. That's what God did. Put your name in there. Let us make, fill in the blank, your name in our image. That's what God designed. He didn't just make ambiguously all of humanity in his image. He made you in his image to belong to him, to stay connected to him. So you look in the mirror and you see a mess but what God sees is his image. And it's not because we're little gods running around. No, it's because we have this inherent value, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are, that we are made in God's image. We are to be connected to him. We are his likeness. Now you might think to yourself, why don't I feel like the image of God? Or why when I see other people, I don't see the image of God in them. Well, the truth is that sin has distorted. Sin has marred the image of God in each of us. It hasn't destroyed the image of God. It's still there, but it has distorted it. But because of Jesus, if you are a Christ follower, Ephesians 4 says that you have been made new and you have been made like, or listen to this, in the likeness of God. Jesus restores the image of God in each of us and what has been distorted by sin is made new. If you look in the mirror and you see a mess, or maybe it's not a mess, maybe you look in the mirror and what, what you see is success, a career, accolades, achievement, income. What you need to know is what God sees. He sees Someone made in his image, not made like all those other cultures creation story because he needed you to do some work because he wanted to put up his feet and just kind of sit back. No, someone who is made in his image because he wants you. He wants to be close to you. He made you to carry his image, to carry the family name. You can stop seeing the mess and you can start seeing a child of God made in his image you belong to him. But we're not quite done because there's something else going on here. 
If we're made in God's image, we said that we're a representation of something. Write this in your notes. Being made in God's image means that I reflect God's love. So we go back to the mirror for a second. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What can everyone else see? You see a reflection of something. When you look at that reflection, at that image, it points you back to the original. It is not itself the original, but it points you to the original. It's a reflection of the real thing. So in the ancient world, you know, people didn't get out much. People didn't have social media. They didn't have cable news. And so often people didn't know what their ruler, what their king looked like. And so what kings would do is they would have these statues made and they would take these statues into the far reaches of their territory, places that they would never go, and they would set up these statues so that the people under their rule would know what their king looked like. They're making an image of themselves. So God uses the same language. God says, I want the world to know what I look like and so I'm gonna make my image, but I'm not gonna make a statue. My people are my image. My people will show the world what I look like. My people will reflect who I am. See, that's our job. That's part of of why God made us, that we would reflect to the world who he is, that when people would look at us, they, they would see this reflection of the real thing, of the perfect and holy God. That because God is merciful, we would show mercy because God is, is loving that we would be loved because God is, is full of truth that we would be truth tellers that because God is, is forgiving that we would show people forgiveness that because God is joyful and patient and kind that we would be those things that when people look at you they would catch a glimpse they would see the reflection of the perfect and holy God who made them and made them also in his image. Incredible what it means to be made in the image of God, to be the reflection to the world of God. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul says it this way. In Ephesians 5, he says, So follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He's saying, be like God, image bearer. You are the resemblance, the likeness, and the reflection of God. When people look at you, do they see the resemblance of a loving and holy God? I want to end just with this, this story because I think it's a really good example. My family, we were out hiking a couple of weeks ago, and my daughters were just kind of hiking, just going along, and my daughter asked me a question. I've told you this before. All my kids are adopted. It's pretty easy to tell when you see us. We all have different skin color. And so my daughter asked this completely random question. We're just kind of hiking along, and she says, hey, Dad, when I get older, how will people know that you're my dad and that I'm your daughter. And I, I kind of, I didn't know really what she meant. And so I, I kind of questioned her like, what, what are you talking about? And she says, well, you're white and I'm brown. 
how will people know that we're related, that you're my dad and I'm your daughter? And I was like, uh, ask your mother? I mean, this is like above my pay grade. But she, she comes back and she says, never mind, never mind. I, I know how. She says, because I'm just like you. And I had this super sweet dad moment. But in that, I thought, that's it. That's what it means to be made in the image of God that when people see you, they would know exactly who your heavenly father is because you are just like him. My hope for you, image bearer of God, my hope for you is that beginning today, you could look in the mirror and see the image of God, that you would look in the mirror and see someone who belongs to God. Even if you are living a life that is far from God, listen to me, you belong to God. He is calling you home. And because of Jesus Christ, you can come running and you can receive forgiveness of your sins. And you can be restored to everything that, that God designed you to be. You belong to him. My second hope for you is that you would realize that you're a reflection of a perfect and holy God and no, you're not gonna be perfect. But as you become more like Jesus Christ, as you walk with Jesus and become more like him, that when people see you, they would catch a glimpse. They would get a reflection of this perfect, loving, powerful, eternal God. Every time you look in the mirror, look past the flaws, look past the brokenness, and see in there the image of God. And when people look on you, starting today, would they see a resemblance? Would they see a glimpse, a reflection of your heavenly Father? Pray with me. God, you could have snapped your fingers. You could have spoken just a word and brought us into existence. But that wasn't good enough. You wanted to get your hands dirty. You wanted to be close to us. So close that you were, you were touching us and you were making us your own. God, thank you that you love us that much, that you didn't make us because you needed us. You made us because you wanted us. God, at the sound of my voice, everyone who is listening, I pray that they would feel the weight of that kind of love, of that kind of relationship, that beginning today, when they look in the mirror, they would not see shame or regret or disappointment or failure or sin. That you would help them see past that, to see the goodness of Jesus Christ. The perfect image of a great God. And God today, in your power, because we can't do it alone, in your power, God, 
Would you transform us into the image of Christ that when people look at us, when they see us, they would see a reflection of your love and your goodness and your integrity and your patience and your joy and your power and your truth and all the greatness and goodness that you are. We are your image. Help us to bear that with humility and also with joy, God. Thank you for Jesus, who is the perfect image of a great God. Help us to be more like him today. It's in his name we pray, amen.